verse 14. I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, again, for all of it. And um, I pray, Lord, I, I need your spirit to use me this morning to bring forth your word. And Lord, you know the hearts of every person in this room and what they need. And I pray that uh, this would be a message that would bring great encouragement to people, that it would uh, cause our eyes to be turned to you, Lord, and to hope in you, Lord. And I ask that uh, during this time, somehow, Lord, your name would be glorified. Lord, and that our hearts would uh, delight in you and in your promises. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I read an interesting article last night. And they, uh, they did a survey on Christians that show up regularly to church, evangelical Christians that are they, they would consider themselves weekly attenders, whether they show up weekly or, you know, miss every now and then, but it's weekly con, uh, attenders. And they found that 52% of evangelical Christians feel that the church has left basic doctrine in many cases. And it, it's really a discouragement to them. And I, you know what? I would agree. You see some of the things that are coming from the pulpits? Uh, it's really scary to see that. And we've left some of the doctrine that uh, uh, should be foundational, should be, uh, you know, not even questioned, and yet we kind of look the other way. And one of the things that uh, we don't talk about much many times is the kingdom of God. And, uh, you know, some people can have different views of that, but what about the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is mentioned 67 times in the New Testament. There is another 32 times where it's called the kingdom of heaven. But neither one of those terms are used in the Old Testament. Neither one. Yet the idea is there. The idea is there. The promise of a coming king who will eternally reign and rule over a people that God chose for himself. It's there all over in the word of God. And the main point today is this, is that Jesus' kingdom is now among us. It is invisible yet utterly real. And we need to get our heads around that truth. We know it, but does it affect the way we live? What about these books? We're going into the, we're continuing on Route 66. We've got 1 Chronicles today, 2 Chronicles next week. In the Hebrew Bible, they were originally a single work, okay? And they were called this, the affairs of the days. That's what they were originally called in Hebrew. Um, what they did was they chronicled in order the events from Adam to Nehemiah, set everything up. And uh, what's interesting, though, is that the northern kingdom, remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about how the Israel split to the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom just uh, known as Israel, southern kingdom is Judah, and the northern kingdom just, uh, they didn't have godly kings. They were uh, brought into captivity, exile a lot sooner than the southern kingdom. Well, they're not even mentioned hardly at all in Chronicles. And um, what we do is, is, as we look through this, we see that First Chronicles, the tradition is, we don't know for sure, but the tradition is that Ezra was the one who was the author that God used. Ryan will be preaching about that in a couple weeks. 
And uh, it was about, this book was written 70 years after Babylonian captivity, somewhere around 450 to 425 B.C. Here's the struggle. When you read through Chronicles, it basically covers the same historical era as First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings. Why? Why would it do that? I mean, it's already we've already talked about those things. And I love what one uh, commentator said. He said that basically Kings reflects Israel's history from a man's viewpoint. And Chronicles reflects Israel's history from God's viewpoint. And part of the reason that, that we look at it is if you'll notice, if you go to Kings, First and Second Kings, you'll see an awful lot of David's sin is, is written about in, the, in those books. Whereas in Chronicles, there's only one thing that's really written about, and that's the census that David took. And you say, well, what's the deal here? Well, God forgives. David asked for forgiveness, and, and he received it. And so when we look at this, we see that, you know, that, could that be what's going on? Maybe. We don't know for sure. But it, it is interesting that David's failures are not mentioned in Chronicles, except for that uh, census. What Chronicles does, and in particular First Chronicles, is where we're focusing on today. It's really about David's life from the moment that he was anointed king till his death. That's what's in First Chronicles. Take a look. Here's the outline of First Chronicles. Chapters 1 through 9 are genealogies, the royal lineage of King David. Chapters 9, 35 to 10, 14, King Saul's genealogy and death. Chapters 11 and 12, David's widespread support. Chapters 13 through 28, King David's preparations for the temple. And finally, chapter 29, Solomon, anointed king, and David's death. I have to tell you, this was one of the hardest messages to try to prepare. It's, it was really difficult. How many of you even tried to read through First Chronicles this week? Anybody at all? It's a tough book. It's a tough book. And I had to go back to basic Bible study principles. Maybe you can, this is something you can glean. What you have to do is you have to look at a book and you say, okay, who was it written to? What was the focus of this book? When it was originally written, who was it written to? And why was it written? So that's what I did. I went back and I said, okay, God, what do you want me to bring forth to your people today? What is it out of this book? And so I went back and I looked at that. And I asked myself a question, and, and it was really interesting how God just kind of brought it along. Here was my question. Why nine chapters of boring genealogy? Okay, yeah, I use that term to describe something in God's word. But that's what it, is, it was to me. I'm looking through it and I'm going, nine chapters. My goodness, God. Why nine chapters? There's got to be a purpose in this. Why nine chapters of unbroken genealogy that go all the way back to Adam, from Adam to that time when it was written? Why? Well, I think what we find is that it was for a purpose. It was to reassure the people it was written to. Who was it written to? This was a group of people, Israelites, who had been exiled in Babylon, and they were just coming back into Jerusalem. 
okay? And Israel has been destroyed. It has been taken captive and sent to exile. And Jerusalem has been leveled. Their, their holy city, their capital city, leveled, pile of rocks. And they're going back and they're, they're walking into this area and they're going, what? God, you made promises to us. This is, your pro- this is how you fulfill your promise. Our holy city is leveled. The people are scattered. Most of them are still in exile. And there's just a few that are over here. You see, that's who it was written to. So why in the world would nine chapters of genealogy be written to that group of people? That's what you have to ask yourself. Why would that be important to them? Because what we see is this. It would reassure the exiles that God was faithful to his promises. He said, no, no, I, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forgotten my promises to David. Here, let me show you. It started with Adam, and then I did this, and then there was this person and this person, and, this, and he just fired up. And over and over again, he's bringing them back to their history, back to the history of Israel, all the way to Abraham and further on. And saying, look it, I've always had a people to myself. Always. I've always provided for them. I've made promises to them. And so he's telling them to look back in order to see his faithfulness. So when they were facing this situation of discouragement and desperation, as they looked at the world around them and saw everything that they valued destroyed, They wouldn't lose heart. You see how nine chapters of genealogy actually helps and affects you today? Because the same purpose is for you. God's saying, yeah, I got nine chapters in there. And yeah, to you it's boring, but you know what? It's a list of my faithfulness. That I am sovereign. And I am in control. Don't ever forget that, Dan. Don't ever forget that. This is a record of my faithfulness throughout history that I will keep my promises, that I will have a people unto myself regardless of what is happening now. Now you can see how this this book affects us today. He's saying, look it, I am a faithful God. I have taken all of human history and moved it for my purposes it's proof. This genealogy, these first nine chapters in First Chronicles is proof to us that God has unbroken faithfulness. So yeah, I get it. It's boring. I'm just being honest. It was for me. You know, oh yeah, that begat. So it was a wow. But then the Lord just said, hey, you know what, Dan? Think about it. Think about it. I said, yeah, Lord, amen. And so what we see is that you continue on through this book, and so you step back. Because I'll be honest, I was trying to find one thing I could kind of hang my hat on, and the Lord just said, eh, that's not the point here. So I stepped back and said, okay, nine chapters of genealogy, and then what else do we have in there? Well, we have a record of David's reign. What happened? How he approached it? What he did? We, we see a record of David setting up the temple. You know, God had said, no, you're not going to build it. Your son will. 
but I'm gonna. But David got all the stuff together, got everything to build it together. You got all the two by fours and stacked them up over here, and you know got all the stuff that needed to be done, and you got all the building equipment there. Whatever they needed, they had. David took care of that. He knew he couldn't build it because he wanted to obey God, but he got all the stuff ready. And we also see in here something is very interesting. The Davidic covenant is repeated. That's interesting. It was in Samuel where it was first given. And the Davidic covenant is here. Why would, why would all these things, you know, we got the genealogy. We understand that a little bit more. But then we got the David in, in his kingship reigning and then the promise that, that uh, he made to David. Why is that in there? How does that help us today where we live? What we find is that it was written them then to give them hope to the discouraged exiles that God was sovereign and he was at work through humans to achieve his purposes. God's purposes will not end up without being accomplished. He will always accomplish all that he purposes. But that's what we see here. God made a promise. He said to David, he said to David, which was in, reflect, uh, in reflection also a promise to Israel, but to us. There's a promise in here for us. And that's part of First Chronicles. The promise is that there would be an eternal kingdom. That's the promise that is here. There's going to be an eternal kingdom. And because of that, we can live with hope today. Take a look at God's word again. First Chronicles 7, 11 through 14. This is restating what was stated earlier in Samuel. When your days are fulfilled, he's talking, God speaking, talking to David. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you, but I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. There's Jesus in First Chronicles. Christ right there. His kingdom will be established forever because David is a descendant of King David, a direct line. That's part of the prophecy that was happening here. It was absolutely amazing what God was doing in this book. Jesus was prophesied as this eternal king in the Davidic covenant. That's what, you know, we we were trying to see where was Christ in every book of the Bible. Here he is. Another reflection would be King David, but specifically here, this is a prophecy about an eternal kingdom and a king who would rule forever. And so we see that prophecy of Jesus here. We see that Jesus is declared king reverently at his birth. Remember that? When the wise men came and Jesus was mockingly declared king at his death. Remember that? King of the Jews put over him as he was hanging on the cross. And what we need to understand is this. This visible king and his invisible, internal, spiritual kingdom arrived when Jesus came. It arrived when Jesus came, but not in its fullness. That's what we have to understand. Not in its fullness. 
So that means that the kingdom is still yet to come, in a sense. It's here, but not yet. Take a look at God's word. Again, it doesn't matter what I say. Here's Jesus speaking in Luke eleven twenty. He just uh, cast demons out of a guy, and the Pharisees are questioning him, saying, you're from uh, the devil. And he says, if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Well, was it by the finger of God that demons were cast out? Yes. Kingdom of God was there. And then you look, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I'll explain that in a minute. And 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10a. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. So what happened? Here's what happened. This great king, seated in the heavenlies, this great, glorious king. Shed his royal robes. And he put on the garb of a commoner. He put on flesh. This king, eternal, powerful, glorious, magnificent king, removed those robes of glory and put on flesh. Why? Because we're sinners. It says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there was no hope for us on our own. It wasn't that our good works could ever outweigh our bad and then we would somehow get to heaven because we still had our, our sinful works. And so what happened is that this glorious king came to earth and put on flesh. And he met the requirements of the law, which was perfection, no sin in thought, word, or deed. None, not once. And he did it. And so then he goes to the cross, this glorious king, now clothed in flesh, as the scripture said. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The glorious king. And he put on flesh and he went to the cross and was punished rightly for the sin that was not his own. For the believers, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, he went to the cross and he was punished for your sin. Every one of them. I was just being overwhelmed by the volume of my sin and thinking about how Christ was punished for that. And I can take sin so lightly. Yet this king of glory came and put on flesh, went to the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out upon him. Why? So that people like you and me could become royal children. Children of the Most High God. Do you, do you ever think about that? Children of the Most High God, adopted into the family because Christ went to the cross and died. The King of glory put on flesh, lived the perfect life, met the requirements, went to the cross, died for sin, not his own, and was raised from the dead so that 
all who would, by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, could be made royal children. You, brothers and sisters, are royalty today. That makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? It does me. Because I know me. But I have to use terms that the Scripture uses. And that's what it says. You are a royal priesthood. He who is rich became poor. So why? So we who are poor could become rich. It's about this glorious King, Jesus That's why I say that Jesus' kingdom is right now. It's right now. It's among us in this room. It's invisible, yet it's utterly, utterly real in a Christian's life. And here's why. Because where the king is, there is his kingdom. This is different than the world. Where King Jesus is, there is his kingdom. And that's just the word of God. And we don't get all that because we, first of all, because of where we live in America, we don't understand this whole kingdom, king thing. We don't get that. But when we look at Scripture, it's, it's so rich. And all the promises are there. And so what do we have? We have this risen king of kings. Boy, what a glorious thing that was, wasn't it? You think of Christ putting aside those robes of glory and putting on flesh, and he comes and he walks among us, commoners, those he would die for, and then he's crucified on the cross. And three days later, the king of glory breaks forth. Wow, wow, risen, and he is alive today, presiding from heaven right now, at this moment, on the right hand of the Father. That's what God's Word says, and it's true. Take a look at it again, the Word of God. Philippians 2, 8-11. through 11. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, because he was obedient, because he, therefore God has highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love all the present tenses that are used there. Is, is, is. Right now. And 1 Peter 3.22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Having been subjected, past tense. And then 1 Timothy 6.14b-16, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. Jesus. Jesus, the risen Savior, the glorious King, is the divine, sovereign King, ruling over everything. Right now, at this moment, it's not on pause. He's ruling over the visible and the invisible. 
He is ruling over the material and the immaterial. He is ruling over all creation, over all beings. And that includes Satan and demons. See, somehow we think that the enemy has free reign, and he's just running wild. Read the book of Job. God said, you go so far and no further. And see, we get freaked out, and we look and we go, oh, no. What's happening? God, it's kind of like the exiles returning to Jerusalem. Oh, no. The enemy's winning. Where are you? What's happening? And he says, listen, look back. Relax. I'm seated in the highest place, Dan. Demons do nothing that I don't allow them to. Nothing. So I'm not being caught off guard. I'm not thinking, oh, no, who would have thought that would happen? What am I going to do now? That's not God. He's sovereign. He's ruling and reigning over all peoples. He's ruling and reigning over all times and places. He is ruling over Russia and Ukraine right now and China and Taiwan. He's ruling over America. He's ruling over Canada and Bogota, Colombia. He's ruling over all peoples, all times, all places. He's ruling over all cultures and all kings and all kingdoms. And is that true or is it not? Because my word, my God, my Bible says, yes, he is at this very moment. But it sure doesn't look like it sometimes, does it? So then we're conflicted because we have to have, we don't know what are we going to believe? What are we going to base our life on? What are we going to find our joy How are we going to put this all together? Either I'm going to believe what I simply see with my eyes or I think I see with my eyes, kind of like that uh, servant of Elijah. Or am I going to believe God's word? You see, that's why it's so important to stand on theology and what God's word says. People say, I don't like theology because, you know, that's, that's legalism or whatever. Theology brings forth worship. Theology is what gives us peace because we look at God's word and we say, I believe that. I believe what it says there. And so I'm going to stand on it. And it doesn't matter what's happening all around. I still believe that, that God is still sovereign. He's ruling and he's reigning. And all his purposes will be fulfilled. And nothing can stop that. But that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean we're going to be uh, living a life without any struggles or problems or it doesn't look like the enemy at times is winning. But like I always joke and people say this, I say, hey, listen, I read the end of the book and we win. I mean, that's what I have to, sometimes that's how I have to handle life. Say, listen, yeah, it looks terrible, doesn't it? But I read the end of the book. And I know that Christ is victorious. That's why we can watch and listen to the news with faith, not fear, knowing that nothing can disrupt God's sovereign plan. Nothing which will culminate in Jesus' final glorious victory. Take a look at God's word again. Revelation 19, 15 through 16. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule, rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen.
you know, we're a little too Norwegian in here. Sometimes we need to just say, amen, right? Get a little worked up about that. You've got to be, you know, hands down here. Acts chapter 1. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Amen. You see, the kingdom of God has come. Came with Christ. That's what he said. Over and over we see that. But it is still yet to come. It's not here in its fullness. And the second coming of Christ, when he breaks through those clouds, which he will, why do I say that? Because God's word says that. And I just, by God's grace, he's given me faith to believe his word. He's coming again. Maybe in my lifetime. I don't know. I know we're a day closer today than yesterday. And he's coming again. And he will, when he does it, it will be the consummation of the kingdom of God. It's coming, brothers and sisters. It's coming. What a joy. So where does that leave us today? Where does that leave us today? That's all great news. Um, It's good information. But where does it leave us today? How do we respond to this truth that God is sovereign, that he has ruled all of man's history in the past, he will in the future, he is right now, and he's got an end goal, and it is for his glory that Christ would come the second time and establish the kingdom forever, an eternal kingdom. He promised to us in Samuel and in First Chronicles chapter 17. How do we respond? Well, we need to understand this truth, that just as with Jesus' first coming, his kingdom still invades the kingdom of darkness. It still invades the kingdom of darkness. It didn't stop when Jesus rose and asc- or when Jesus ascended into heaven. It's now, okay, now the kingdom of God is put in neutral. That's not what happened. Because you are priests of his. Royal priesthood, as the scripture says. And what we need to understand is every victory against sin and temptation is an advancement of the kingdom of God. When we walk in holiness, it brings God glory. When we, by his grace and his mercy, walk in holiness, he is our king and we are his chosen subjects. Isn't that sweet to hear? He is our king and we are his chosen subjects. He picked you. When I was growing up, listen, when I was growing up, I was always the last one to get picked. I was a skinny guy, and so whatever we did, I was just not the athletic type. So I always got picked last, and that felt terrible. But you know what? It's so good to know that God chose us. He wants us. He is our king, and we are his chosen subjects. So daily live in submission to the king. Again, this is hard for us. Because, first of all, we don't understand this whole king stuff because we don't have a king. But we're, just, we're Americans, and we don't like anybody telling us what to do, right? That just is who we are. No, you can't tell me to do that. And yet, Jesus is our king, and we are his chosen subjects, and so he has the right to say, do this and don't do that. Live in this manner. And so let's live in submission to the king with 
gospel-directed, spirit-empowered obedience. You see, it's got to come from God. It's got to, he, he, he dwells within us is what scripture says. And because he dwells within us, we can walk in holiness. We can walk in obedience because he enables us. And so if the kingdom of darkness is still there and that the kingdom of our God is here among us and his kingdom is still progressing against the kingdom of darkness, one way that that can happen is by me walking in holiness in my own personal life saying, you know what, God, I want to live the way that honors you. I want to walk in holiness. Help me to do that. I know that brings you honor and glory. Here's another way. Every salvation, with every salvation, Jesus' reign is established and the kingdom of God expands. As people come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the kingdom of God expands. It moves forward. The scripture says it's like leaven, not in the negative way, but it just expands. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So share the gospel. Share the gospel with people. Invite someone to church. Listen, I got to say, I'm not going to mention names, but I love this. There are people within this church that if I had a list of the top, I'm going to say, top five or ten evangelists, you know, they like to share their faith. I would, these people would never be included on that list. But you know what they do? It's amazing. They constantly invite people to church. They just invite people to church. And it's, it's, to me, so many times I've had conversations with the people that they have invited to church that I have been able to share the gospel with. You see, that's the kingdom of God advancing on the kingdom of darkness in a way that you wouldn't figure, think it would be there. But they're just inviting people. They're telling people, hey, you, could you come to church with me? Maybe they're shy about sharing the gospel. I don't know, but I know that it's just a matter of time before God gives them boldness. You see, that's another way that the kingdom of God is advancing against the kingdom of darkness because the lost are getting saved. We're seeing things happening, miraculous things happening. So there's another way. Invite people to church. You think, well, I'm not that type of person. I'm not going to say the names, but you would never put those other people in that list either. It's amazing to see what God has been doing through just quiet people. Not boisterous people like me, but just quiet people inviting someone to come to church and hearing the gospel. Praise God. Who will you bring to church? Who will you invite to church maybe next week or the week after? You got a small group this, this week? Talk about that. Ask God for the courage to, uh, to, to invite people to come to church. And finally this, what's my final action point? Walk in holiness in your own personal life. Share the gospel, if nothing else, invite people to church. And the final action point is completely obedience to Scripture. This is something you can do right now. It's very simple. Pray that Jesus would come soon for the second time to establish his kingdom, his eternal sovereign rule as king over the entire universe. You know why I say that? Because that's what Jesus told us to pray about. Take a look at God's word. His disciples were asking Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I don't know how to pray. 
And he doesn't say pray this. If you notice, he said pray like this. Pray then like this. So we can use those words, but really what's important here is the, con- the concepts. He's saying here's one of the things you pray for. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Worthy is your name. I love how it starts out with worship. He's just worshiping God. Jesus says, you know what? You start with worship. That's why in here a couple of years ago in this church, we started a prayer focus. And we went through a pattern of prayer. And what we do now, what we're trying to do, which we never did before, was we start with worship. If you come to Wednesday night worship or prayer time, Tuesday night prayer time, you start with, Lord, we, we read the scripture, some scripture, and then we just say, let's not ask anything from God. Let's just worship him. Lord, you, and whatever is in that section of scripture, we usually find to worship him. And that's what Jesus is saying. Pray, our Father in heaven, our Father, that's that relational way that we pray. I love what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use his name, and I didn't ask him what Khalil said this last week in our small group when he was praying. He said, Lord, we're not in a truce with you. We're in a relationship with you. That was powerful. Powerful. You don't have just a truce with the King of kings, the Lord of glory. You have a relationship. And he's your pops. And so this great King of glory, we were praying about this downstairs in a prayer room before service. This great King of glory, Jesus, the omnipotent one, the magnificent one, seated on the right hand of the Father, King of kings, Lord of lords, glorious, his glory fills the temple, and he said this to you, come boldly into my throne room. I mean, we're just, what are we? He's holding the entire universe together. He's sovereign over all things, yet he calls you his child. He calls you to be a part of his family. He says, come on in. I mean, I'd be if it weren't for the word of God, I'd be intimidated, wouldn't you? This is the Lord of glory, the King of kings. And he says, come in to my throne room. Come on in, Dan. That's how we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed, worthy is your name. A, na- a person's name is all that they are. Not just your name, but all that you are. Hallowed be your name. Lord, I worship you this morning that you are glorious. Lord, that you are omnipotent. You are all-powerful. God, that you are sovereign over all things. Lord, that you are king of kings and lord of lords. Lord, you are creator. You are my advocate. You are my savior, my messiah, my friend. All that you are. I worship you. And Lord, my prayer is your kingdom come. In my life, those areas that I keep to myself and I hide, try to hide from you, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come. Lord, come again. Maybe today. Come again. This world's getting crazy, God. It's getting crazy. Selfishly, I want out, right? But Lord, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pray that. How much do you pray that? I don't hardly ever. I don't. And I'm asking God to change that in me. Help me, God, to pray that. Lord, your kingdom come today. 
Lord, come again, Lord Jesus. Come again soon. So those are the ways that God's kingdom, even in this time, in this place that we live, is invading the kingdom of darkness. That we can be a part of that. It's here, but not in its fullness. Kingdom of God. And so we, by God's grace, he's placed us here. And he says, you know what? Seek holiness. Part of my kingdom expanding. Pray, you know, invite people to church. Share the gospel. And as people come to know Christ, the kingdom is expanding. And pray that, it would, that I would come again. So we can do that. By God's grace and God's mercy. Because this great king of kings, this Lord of glory, is not seated in some far place, distant from you, not caring about you. If you're a believer, he dwells within you. And you matter to him. And he wants to expand his kingdom through you because it'll bring him glory. So let's ask him to do that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this book that seems so distant and so irrelevant for us. Thank you, God, that all your word is for us and it is all inspired by your spirit. And God, today you're calling us, God, to be a part of that kingdom work. So God, I ask that you would please enable us to seek after you in holiness. Lord, that we would share the gospel with those around us and that we would pray, Lord, maybe today you would come again. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that you are sovereign at this very moment, that you are ruling and reigning over everything in the universe. God, there is nothing that is surprising you and there is nothing you cannot do that you choose to do. So we worship you, Lord, and cause that truth to give us hope today, regardless of what's happening in our lives personally or nationally or around the world. Do this for your sake, God, for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and continue to worship.